0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with Chris Buchanani, kind enough to sit in for Dustin Smith this week. Chris it's great to have you as a guest host on the show. I think this is your first time, isn't it?
2: uh I believe so. I may have done a guest segment here or there, but this is the first time I'm carrying the load, so I shall endeavor to do my best, Jim.
1: I am sure you will do just fine or we'll just never have you on the show again, Chris, but no fair pressure, enough, all right. <laughs> okay. Just remember, radio's
2: free, so you get what you pay for <laughs>
1: Way to set the bar nice and low, Chris. Anyway. Well, we are talking uh, about the we...
2: prospects for the 2022 Nittany Lions Gym, so I'm just sticking with the theme.
1: <laughs> good, good point. Before we get started with that, Chris, want to give you a little reminder Keystone Sports Network, in partnership with Collegiate Athletic Travel, we're offering the opportunity for you to travel to Auburn in the fall. the penn state auburn football game it's a great deal charter flight out of harrisburg you get to stay at the team hotel transportation to and from the game tailgate party at the stadium and perhaps most importantly you get to visit with me and dustin we're going to be along for the ride also i'm really looking forward to the trip hope you choose to join us For more information, you could go to athletictravel.com or call 800-788-4414. All right, Chris, we're talking about Penn State-Auburn in the fall. That's the Penn State 2022 season. That's where you and I are headed. We've been spending a lot of time in our crossover show looking backwards, history of the team. I want to look forward today. We're done with spring practice. there's a lot of digest with this team, a lot going on. I mean, after three out of four years with 11 wins, this has now been a 500 team over the last two years. Just what is the state of this program right now?
2: Well, it's definitely up in the air. I think it's something of a, a Rorschach painting, I suppose, that you can look at it and come away with whatever conclusion you want. There are some negatives, for sure that are obvious and on the surface and you hit on the first one, the record over the last two years, the old Bill Parcells saw holds true. You are what your record says you are. And over the last two years, Penn state's a 500 football program. They're middle of the pack in the big 10. We like to think of the Nittany lions uh, uh, of being where they were during that three 11 win campaigns out of four years, knocking on the door of challenging Ohio state I'm not sure that right now they aren't fourth in the pecking order in the division behind the Buckeyes and the two Michigan teams. Now, on the other hand, if you look at body of work from the coaching staff, certainly going all the way back to the Vanderbilt days for James Franklin, there are indicators there to suggest we should have faith and, you know, stay the course. And the results on the recruiting trail, especially recently, 2022 and what we're seeing with the 2023 class are reasons that we should be optimistic there's been a commitment on behalf of the institution to facility upgrades and coaching salaries and certainly James with the assistance he has brought in specifically the two coordinators is trying to signal he is serious he remains serious about keeping Penn State in contention for elite status so it's really all about whether or not you're still
1: open-minded to buying the potential, I suppose. And I like your point that it's what we see. And I could argue both sides of this, Chris, as to I could write off these last two years as the COVID season with all those injuries, especially at running back. Mm -hmm. Last season, I could even argue, hey, they were 5-0, ranked in the top five, a couple touchdown lead against Iowa – when Sean Clifford went down, that's the argument on the plus side, but the fact is, is this a team you you can't win a game against an Illinois team when you're not 100% a hundred percent at quarterback? Yeah, you have a two touchdown lead against Iowa, and that's not enough for you to win a game with your backup quarterback, so like you said, indicators go both ways, don't You
2: they? have a chance to beat Michigan at home down. One head of their two-headed running back attack, you, you certainly have a chance to upset Michigan State in East Lansing at the end of the season, and you let those opportunities slip through your fingers. like yes, I understand the provisos about the injuries to Sean Clifford and P.J Mustafer. Let's not forget that one. That was a, a key yep. loss in the Iowa game as well. But if you are one or two players away from. Two to three wins or losses difference. Football is the ultimate team game. You're not that good a team, if even even at the quarterback spot, frankly.
1: Well, I'll also though counter argument is remember the Joe Paterno dark years, and he was like, "I'm just another recruiting class. We're only one or two players away." And then a Derek Williams comes in. All of a sudden, he was right. They were a couple players away, and you had a double-digit winning team going to a New Year's Day bowl. So I guess one could argue that might be the case here with Penn State. And we'll get into, you know, more the nitty-gritty of individual players. But this first segment, just staying, you know, that 30,000-foot view, you alluded to the new coordinators with Mike Yursich, Manny Diaz. They both seem like fantastic hires. But you had that Mike, remember Mike Yursich was going to save the offense from the Kirk Scirocca problems that they had the prior year. Didn't exactly work out that way. So my question to you, Chris, is what effect will these coordinators, new coordinators have Yersich year two, Manny Diaz year one?
2: Yeah, well, the thing, I, I'll, I'll talk about Diaz first and just say one of the things I love about the Manny Diaz hire is that I have been pretty consistent in saying that i think james franklin because of the style of head coach that he is needs to have coordinators with big time coaching experience on their resume preferably head coaching experience because you just can't have your fingers into everything up and down the ladder in your football program from marketing to personnel to on-field strategy, game planning, recruiting, you name it, as James does, the CEO coach term is probably a little worn out on him, but it's apt without having some subordinates who are able to just make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed in the day-to-day business of coaching. And I think bringing in a guy like Diaz who has been a coordinator at big-time FBS schools, and has been a head coach at a Power 5 program. I think that experience, the broad-based experience in one of his two coordinators, is, is a big, big boost. And certainly, uh, you know, it, it's going to be, I think, schematically potentially a pretty big change from what we've seen from years of Brent Pry. because philosophically, Manny Diaz is just a little bit more of a risk-taker. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the hire. I like that James is stepping up to the plate and taking big cuts on these hires. So I like the Diaz hire. To me, though, I, I really do think more of the focus is going to be on Yursich because I, like many Penn State fans and media folks, was pretty high on him coming in. I love the hire. Again, I thought it was a big-time hire that says we are not content to be middle of the pack in the division. But, man, I, I, I just don't think you can look at the results after year one and call it any anything but a failure.
1: Is that fair? Very fair. It, it was pretty obvious last year the defense was on point. Um, you could, if you stretch and squint, you could look at issues with the defense that they lost a couple games where Penn State had the lead late. But I just put that still on the offense, who put so much pressure on the defense that they almost had to pitch a shutout to win. And that, that's unfair. So I, I lay it on the offense. And, you know, next segment, we'll drill deeper into that. But you talked about—I like these two hires of the coordinators also, Chris. But you have to also look now at James Franklin. But with the idea—remember, he just signed his extension— this program is married to James Franklin. Do you have the confidence in him? I know we've seen some good recruiting in the class of 22. The class of 23 is starting to shape up also. But there's a little more to that head job than just recruiting well. Yeah.
2: I, look, I have my criticisms of Coach Franklin, but I am in you know the increasingly small gym group of Penn Staters who is still pretty supportive of the guy. I think we ought to be very, very careful about not about avoiding falling prey to familiarity breeds contempt, right? When I look around the country and I look at all the other options we may have ended up with, I'm actually very comfortable giving James some more opportunity to uh, win back the good graces of the fans. And I'm totally cognizant of the fact that that is not a super majority opinion. That's not very popular. There's a lot of empty seats on the bandwagon, so if anyone wants to come sit by me, you're welcome to join. I do want to make one other point about his staff. I think addition by retention is one of the positives. You want to look at the Rorschach painting and see something positive and favorable. The fact that we were able to hold on to Anthony Poindexter, who at one point looked like a lock, to go be the next head coach at his alma mater at UVA, and and, uh, J. Juan Sider, who looked like he might be headed back to Florida. Those two guys have been spoken of very highly. Sider is an elite recruiter. Poindexter clearly is very well-liked by all the players in his position group and on the defensive side of the football. I think keeping some consistency there and retaining guys who are going to be key for various reasons – To this season, Uh, we need to improve the run game, the need to replace a lot of guys who we saw get drafted last week on the defensive side. I think bringing back Poindexter and Sider specifically was just as important as any of the departures and replacements or new hires.
1: So that's the reason that I'm actually optimistic heading into this season. In the last half minute or so that we have left, Chris, is Penn State prepared – for this brave new world of name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal, free agency. Nope.
2: <laughs> you stayed <laughs> in a half a minute. Seconds. That's what you're going to get. Uh, no, they are not. And they need to play catch up and they need to do it quickly.
1: And I think the good thing is James Franklin is aware of that. I didn't get a chance to ask you about him, but I get the feeling the new athletic director is also well aware of those issues. Me too. And they they've got to be aware and they got to be capable of doing something about it so um i i think we're going to see some some more uh initiatives on, on those fronts all right chris you survived the first segment let's see how you do with segment number two coming up right after this
3: this is jen from collegiate athletic travel we've been offering travel to the biggest penn state games for over 50 years This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galanti along with Chris Buchanani, sitting in for Dustin Hawkinsmith this week. Chris, you survived one segment. How you doing? I'm doing great,
2: Jim. May I Pretty good. begin the segment by just sounding off on one of your sponsors for a moment? Go ahead. It's an unsolicited and uncompensated endorsement from me. You've been promoting that collegiate athletic travel trip down to the Auburn game. I I I just want to say I have been on these trips. You really cannot beat it. It's it's so much fun for so many reasons. I am super lazy. I hate traveling. It's a known fact among my friends that if I leave Happy Valley for too long, I just start to fade from existence, like the picture in Back to the Future. But if I'm following the Nittany Lions, I can just kind of take the magic with me, so it's okay. So I love being surrounded by Penn State fans. and. I don't like planning my own travel or worrying about anything other than the football, frankly, especially if it's a big game and I'm nervous. So just having everything taken care of for me, like just being shepherded from place to place and making sure everything is taken care of, it's it's worth You know, it's a bargain at twice the price, frankly. So, anyway, go go down with Jim and Dustin (laughs) to watch the Nittany Lions take on Auburn. We don't get to make the SEC road trips too often. Do it with collegiate athletic travel. And go to athletictravel.com to get your reservations made. Right, Jim?
1: Exactly, Chris, and I'll tell you what I—I I haven't traveled with collegiate athletic travel before. I've gone on a couple love road games, and the couple things that were always rough is if you just go with a couple people, you know, how are you going to tailgate? Where are you going to stay? You know the, fl- but here to be on a flight, a charter flight with all Penn State folks, you know, staying at a hotel with all Penn State folks, and they have a couple different events scheduled and all so i'm looking forward to it i i can't wait i'm i'm all excited about it so um again would love to have some of our listeners with us it'll be a great time i can guarantee that all right chris let's go back to our topic and we're talking about the state of the penn state football program after we got through spring practice we talked in general in in quarter number one what i want to do now is get into more of the specifics Let's use quarter number two to talk about the offense. Now, let's face it. A year ago, this is where the issue was. And it's in general, you could say, oh, the running game was bad. But I want to find out from you, where did things go wrong? Where do we put the blame, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Is it the offensive line? Was it the running backs? Was it the quarterback? And please, please do not give me the answer that, well, it was some of a bit of everything. What was the issue, Chris? On the run
2: game, Jim. I know you don't want to hear that answer, but I, I, you, you want me to be honest. I really, as far as I can tell, there was a holistic failure in the run game last year. I, I and we talked about this a little bit during the season, and we certainly touched on it on television from week to week. I did put a fair amount of the blame on the backs themselves. Sometimes you are not going to get the greatest blocking in front of you. Ask the college or pro version of Saquon Barkley about that. If, you, if you're faced with the, you know, the lemons, sometimes you got to make lemonade as a back. And I thought that there were plenty of instances last year where whoever we had taking the handoff just didn't take advantage of what opportunities were there. Uh, the the vision, the uh, choosing what direction to go, the just speed of their decision-making did not meet the moment. And some of that does have to fall on the backs themselves. Now, was the blocking great? No, it certainly was not. And I think that our young tight ends, and we'll talk about them more in a few minutes, I'm sure, I think they struggled – To adapt to what they were being asked to do as run blockers in Mike Yursich's system versus what they were trained to do a year before as true freshmen or as freshmen in uh, uh, Kirk Sharaka's. So, again, I think it was a systemic failure. Top to bottom, you could look at every position group and say any one of these players doing something a little bit better on any given play might have resulted in a positive outcome that didn't happen. But from play to play, you couldn't consistently go back to the same guy or even the same position group and say the same mistakes are coming from the same place. So that's frustrating to hear as an answer. But I, on, on one end, you could say it's bad because everyone at one point or another was underperforming. But again, if we're trying to look for the silver lining, we can say we have an entire offseason to correct and improve. A lot of the mistakes were being made by young players who still have a lot of football in front of them. And when it comes to the backs, I do hope that there has been an upgrade at the position just with some of the talent we've brought in because when you look at running back, it's one of the places where you can see immediate impact, especially as the season goes on. You think about guys like Evan Royster and Silas Red and Saquon Barkley all made an impact as true freshman running backs at Penn State all saw their workload dramatically increase as we got to the second half of the season. So I, I'm, I'm actually cautiously optimistic we can improve the results in the run game. And again, if for no other reason that it would be exceedingly difficult to be worse.
1: <laughs> Nowhere else to go but up from here. I think you're right with the running back, specifically Nick Singleton, and I really like what I saw Catron Allen in the spring game. Same. But if you have an issue on the offensive line. Normally, normally you lose three starters out of the five starters on the offensive line, you're saying, "Uh-oh, we have an issue." My mantra has been about the offensive line addition by subtraction. I think this offensive line needed a fresh start and I'm cautiously optimistic with the new folks that they're putting in. Stop. A year ago, you didn't have Fashanu, you didn't have Tengwall playing, Sal Warmly coming off of injury, and the transfer Hunter Norzad. They have to be better, don't they, Chris?
2: Snake oil. Get your snake oil here. Two <laughs> bottles for the price of one. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do it.
1: I am I, not going to promise anyone
2: there's going to be improvement on Penn State's offensive line. I'm, I'm just done. You're going to have to pretend this is Missouri and show me.
1: Well, I still look at it like when I've seen replays, when I've seen, you know, people like uh, T. Frank go into the analysis or our friend Coach Kaduti come on and I've watched his films when he – there were just so many mistakes made by the offensive line that I just said to myself, it has to be better, Chris. Don't, don't even – I don't need you to excel. I just need you to hold your own. Is that asking too much from that group? No,
2: absolutely not, especially given the recruiting pedigree of a lot of these guys we've brought in. And to your point, yes, you're replacing starters, but you're at least able to bring in a couple of guys who you liked what you saw from them in limited action. Now, sometimes that doesn't project to an expanded role, but the one guy, as you know, I am totally bought in on is is Lendon Tengwall who we saw play as a true freshman. And I think I, that guy's the truth. And if Fashanu can project what he did at the end of the season to a bigger role come this fall, that's a left side of the line you can feel pretty good about. So, look, I'm, I'm not going to dunk on you for being cautiously optimistic, but I, I am not going to join you either. <laughs> I'm just done. I've made a solemn promise to myself and our audience that I am done peddling snake oil on the offensive line.
1: I, I feel like I'm in that situation, Chris, where, you know, there's a one in a million chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. I, I just want to feel that positive vibe for them. But, you know, we talk running back, we talk offensive line. Still, you know, we haven't mentioned his name yet, Sean Clifford, the quarterback. We've seen him for five years I have people saying, well, he is what he is. Well, what does that mean? You know, five games into the season, he was undefeated. He had a game where he was, what, 28 for 32 against Auburn? Yeah. As accurate as can be. Is that who we're we're bringing back next year? Are we bringing back the guy that we saw the rest of the season?
2: Well, you have to feel at least better about the depth behind him this season than last year. You've got two true freshman quarterbacks who are thought of very highly and Christian Veyu, who has some in-game experience as a backup, which is all more than we could say last year. We had no experienced backups behind Clifford and not a ton of highly recruited talent in that quarterback room. I almost don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Clifford just because, like you said, I I I think we know what we're getting. We understand there are options there if things go south the one thing I want to emphasize in his defense is that this is the first time since he's been at Penn state. And I think Joe Paterno recruited him. He's been here so long (laughs) that uh, he's had the same offensive coach system, quarterbacks coach for two years straight. So uh, the guy has not experienced any stability, frankly, in his entire Penn state tenure, which is famously lengthy. So, I, I, I'll just kind of wrap it up by pivoting to say I feel where I am cautiously optimistic is on the receiving weapons he'll have. I think that bringing in Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky, who just absolutely ripped up the competition to stabilize the receiver spot opposite Parker Washington, then you have Keandre Lambert-Smith, as your third receiver and a a ton of intriguing guys after them, that gives you a solid trio of wide receivers who I feel very good about. And then to circle back to the tight end position, I am just going to need to see more from those guys, from Brenton Strange, from Theo Johnson, from Tyler Warren. But what makes me feel good about that group is that we know they can do it. We saw them play well as freshmen, and we saw each of them have their moments last year where they flashed the ability that everybody raved about and that we saw from them as freshmen. And then we saw moments where they dropped passes in key moments, every single one of them. And so if you want some cautious optimism, my cautious optimism is that last year, the tight end group, specifically the top two guys, Strange and Johnson, were experiencing their sophomore slump. And they are now poised to make a Mike Kosicki type leap. And if one or both of them can do so, it could completely transform what Penn State can do with its offense in the run and pass
1: game. I feel, Chris, that the pieces are forming. I like the wide receivers. I like the tight ends. I like the incoming running backs. I I am cautiously optimistic about the offensive line. I think it has to be better. I'm still concerned when I gave you the opportunity to say something good about Sean Clifford, your answer was, well, the backups are going to be better this year. So, all right. That is it for the offense. Quarter number three, we're going to talk about the defense where there are a lot of holes to fill. Stay tuned.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State-Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to AthleticTravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
2: In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante along with Chris Bucanani sitting in for Dustin Hawkinsmith this week. You've made the turn now. You got through two segments, Chris. How you feeling? Ready for another segment?
2: I am going to encourage everybody to stick with us through the third quarter here, Jim, because I know you're going to interview my good buddy, Greg Woodman, about his book, Why Penn State, which you can get at whypennstate.com. And it's it's really great. It's an, it's an awesome read for any Nittany Lions fan, so they'll want to hear from Greg, the inventor of the – Stand-up cardboard Joe Paterno, one of my all-time favorite uh, Penn State tchotchkes. We had one at our wedding that now lives in our basement, used to scare the hell out of our dog. Great. And by the way, I, I just want to make a comment from last segment. When you mentioned that I did not want to talk too much about the quarterback spot, I was not trying to fade Sean Clifford at all. I hate quarterbacks in general. I hate talking about quarterbacks. I also try to think about what the audience is primed to get sick of listening to over the next three, four months. And that is gonna be talk about Sean Clifford. So I just tried to look for some other things that are interesting to me and say, hey, where are the other hidden details that could potentially impact the quarterback spot? And I think that's do we have stability in the receiving core? And can we get more out of the tight ends in run blocking and pass catching? So I, again, you are gonna, all, all of yous listening right now are gonna be absolutely sick of the name Sean Clifford and how we slice and dice and analyze his game, if you're not already, honestly, by the time we get to kickoff. So no no reflection on him at all. I just hate talking about quarterbacks. So let's talk some defense.
1: All right, let's do it. And by the way, through the summer – Just tune in to the Keystone Kickoff Show. You will hear plenty about Sean Clifford. Trust me. And by the way, we have two segments a week, an Ask T. Frank and an Ask Ross segment, where our listeners send in their questions. Trust me, we will be talking about Sean Clifford, Chris. All the time. Let's talk about the defense, because I'm really fascinated by this. I was so impressed with the defense last year. Yeah. But... Here's what we're running into. Five. Five players from that defense were were drafted. Two more players went to the NFL as undrafted free agents. Plus the longtime coordinator Brent Pry has moved on. That is a lot of talent and a lot of stability out the door, Chris. Before we get into the specifics, just the overall on the defense. That is a lot of talent to replace.
2: Well, the concerning thing going into 2022 for Penn State is that you are more confident in the offense than you are in the defense, and yet that is not a reflection on the offense, right? <laughs> I, I do think when you break down who left, who went to the NFL, with whom they are being replaced, what they've been able to do in the talent pipeline and, you know, through the transfer portal to tee up some replacements. Guys coming back off injury. I talked about P.J. Mustafer previously. I think he's going to be an absolute key to this team, both on the field and from a leadership standpoint. I am not despondent about the departure of talent and our potential to replace it. Could there be some drop-off? from last year's defense, especially early on. Yeah, I think that's possible, especially Jaquan Brisker. It is very tough to replace a player of that caliber, especially right at the box. But on balance, can we bring in guys who can play at replacement level? I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation for Penn State fans to have this offseason.
1: Chris, when I took a look at, and I'll break it down to the three levels: the defensive line, the linebackers, the DBs. You know, I see a lot of talent lost at the defensive line. When you say Ibakiti's gone, uh, Jesse Lakeda gone, but I list the names and I feel pretty good. You know, I I love love Jaquan Brisker. Just you don't replace a guy like that. But I see all the talent among the DBs, and I still feel pretty good, even if they don't quite have that same level of superstar, I'm going to call them. I'm going to point to the linebacker position, though, where they lost Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith, and I always include Jesse Lucada there, because when a linebacker was out, it was Lucada who came in as the fourth man, if you will. So I'll say linebacker lost three out of their top four players, and the one guy returning, Curtis Jacobs, is playing a different position. That's where I have my concerns. How about you?
2: Uh, No, I think that's totally fair. And to your point about uh, Laqueta, it's concerning about the depth you have in your linebacker room when very often your replacement for an injured or unavailable player was a guy who very clearly was a defensive end. Right? Yes. I do, just to say something about Curtis Jacobs, I do really like that kid a lot. I love watching the way he plays and the consistency with which he plays. I think sometimes he did not get enough credit last season for how many times he was in the right place to make the play and just did it. I think it was – it's just – there's almost a workman-like fashion to the way he goes about his business that maybe – um doesn't put his name in lights for the fans, but I, I do feel really good about having him come back. I think that there are some intriguing names in, in specifically in Tyler Ellsden and Kobe King who could step in and replace Ellis Brooks, maybe the two of them in combination. I, I talked about creating replacement level results. Uh, I, I've seen some criticism of Jonathan Sutherland who has moved down from the third level into the intermediate from safety to linebacker that he's not a great tackler in space well without naming any names Jim there is someone who was drafted to play in the NFL this past week or or two weeks ago uh who (laughs) was not in my opinion one of the greatest tacklers in space I've ever seen and so I you know I think Jonathan Sutherland is going to be just fine in the outside linebacker role. And I talked a little bit when we did a blue-white game wrap-up on the crossover podcast about the intriguing talent at the safety position. I do think some of those guys can maybe help mask the deficiencies at linebacker by just keeping two backers on the field and bringing in a guy to play this sort of so-called star position, sort of a hybrid uh, safety linebacker role. And... Again, I do think a lot of it is going to come down to pass rush. Can the front four be sufficiently disruptive where, and in the run game as well, where we don't have to ask a ton of the guys behind them? Because I feel good about the talent in the secondary, but we're breaking in some new players. And again, you've identified that linebacker remains the question mark spot. And so that's why I think it is so important to have Mustafa coming back. Uh, We talked about uh, on our podcast off and on, Zane Durant, a guy a lot of people are excited about. Adisa Isaac is another one of those players who, like Des Holmes, the right guard, we've heard a lot about last offseason, this offseason. We did not see at all during the year because they sustained season-ending injuries. Isaac is that guy on the defensive side. James Franklin made a point to single him out multiple times during the spring and praise him and talk about the impact his return has made, he's going to have to make good on those endorsements from his head coach because, you know, you you talked about losing the majority of the disruption from last year's team in Ebiketti leaving and then Luqueta as well.
1: Well, the thing, and I want to ask you a little bit more about the defensive line, and you, if you look at the losses, three stars, Ibikidi and Lakeda, the two defensive ends, Derek Tangelo, but talking about the pluses, what you're gaining on the defensive line, I'm going to call P.J. Mustafer a game because he sat out the last half of the season with injury. Akeem Beeman and Adisa Isaac were both out all of last season for different reasons. They're both there. And don't forget, you
2: brought up Hakeem Beeman, Jim, don't forget that he was being positioned as one of the key difference makers for last year's defensive line before it was announced he was not going to be on the field for the entirety of the season. So that's, that's an excellent point. That could be a big, big boost to this group.
1: And, you know, I don't want to go crazy yet about Damian Robinson, who came in, was a highly recruited out of high school. He's going to be an edge guy. Um, Penn State recruited him a year ago. It's hard, I don't want to say, oh, there's our new Arnold Ibikiti, e. but I think that's where the question is between Adisa Isaac and, you know, Damian Robinson, can you get something at least similar to the pressure from the edge that we got last year from an Arnold DiBakiti.
2: Right, and we know that Manny Diaz likes to get to the quarterback. We talked about that when we were going through the differences between Diaz and, and Brent Pry, talking a little bit in the first segment. And so, you, you throw in Nick Tarburton, who is experienced, not like a huge disruptive pass rusher, but a guy who is solid from the defensive end spot, and they the coaches think they can still get a little bit more pass rush out of. And Smith Vilbert, who flashed potential in the bowl game. we got to be careful about how much of that we project to a larger role, again. But that's a solid rotation of four, maybe even five guys who we feel can can come in off the edge. And the combination of scheme and depth, I remember saying it about last year's defense when we really didn't know what we had in some of these guys like and, and and Tangelo. If you've got a solid rotation that goes eight plus deep, you really only need two or three of those guys to take a step or two. And again, like I want to keep coming back to the potential of bringing Beeman back and that elevates the production of the entire group. So if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic to me on the defensive line, it's all about depth. You're just throwing darts there and you only need to hit one or two and all of a sudden, the entire group elevates.
1: I think you're right. My only concern, and I do like the defense. I do like Manny Diaz coming back. My only concern is in losing Eba and Jaquan Brisker. Those two guys, they were the stars of the defense. Those were the guys who make those special plays. I'm hoping that there's someone who can make those special plays this year, and I'm not sure who that's going to be.
2: I think you always have a couple of those kids emerge. So if there is one place where I'm going to sit back and be confident, it's that I believe the next great playmaker is in the locker room right now. We might not know who it is. Maybe it's a young guy like Zaki Wheatley who gets talked about for his nose for the ball. We saw that in the spring game. But if I'm confident anywhere,
1: it's there, Jim. Very good, Chris. You did a great job. We're now going to hand it off to both of our good friends, Uh, Greg Woodman, author of Why Penn State, he will be here for quarter number four. You don't want to miss that.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
2: What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State, by author Greg Woodman, looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page, full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four, and we welcome in our very special guest, Greg Woodman. CEO and founder of Infinity Connection, instructor of entrepreneurial leadership, the guy who brought you the cardboard stand-up Joe Paterno, and most importantly for our conversation today, the author of the great book, Why Penn State. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. With all that going on, I'm really impressed that you have time for us. So I appreciate it. You're a busy guy but i I first of all, I really enjoyed your book i read I read it in one sitting i re- I really did got all the way through it. And what I found so interesting was that you take a look at that why penn state as as a marketing person. so instead of just how and what, it's it seems like it's the why that creates the greatness. Can you explain that?
5: Sure, Jim. um many people have said it's more of a branding marketing book than necessarily a historical perspective of the 80s. Um, I I was a student here at Penn State at the time uh, taking a lot of marketing classes and so in, in doing student products, uh, t-shirts started in Penn State 1978 when they were in the Sugar Bowl, Penn State number one in 78, um, how sweet it is t-shirts, you know, and so I was taking classes on marketing, studying Nike, studying the great brands, and here this state school was becoming a global brand, Uh, from the players, uh, from Keith Jackson coming on Saturdays to winning a national championship in 82 and 86, and the whole success with Honor, it was just fun to be a part of it while creating products around it.
1: It was interesting, you made that comparison to Nike and how the branding... A Nike will consciously say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to brand ourselves this way. I don't think Penn State consciously said that, but it was just the end result of everything they did, correct? Oh, yeah, well said. It was
5: very organic. It certainly wasn't manufactured by a Penn State marketing department. Yet, I will say that the Joe Paterno approach and the values and how he recruited you know, I guess it's how he sat in people's living rooms and in their kitchens and recruited students and, and sold them on this high value graduate first, student first before athlete. You know, and as he's interviewed on 60 Minutes in 1978, you know, I think it just organically became, uh, well, the, the, what became called success with honor and the grand experiment. It just resonated as a very aspirational vision and dream that captivated the nation, Uh, uh, you know, and so it it just started snowballing. And then as the players, even from Franco Harris and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 80s, um, they just represented the values. And it was it was much more than football. It was about the holistic education of these student athletes that I think caught the fancy of, of so many people.
1: Now you use the '80s as the decade to demonstrate all these things, but I'm assuming it started earlier than that. But the '80s is just the decade that it exploded, right?
5: Yes, the um, the the '70s. Well, it started in the '70s or late '60s, you know. And I think in '78. I mean, I, I stress that in the book when when 60 Minutes, the number one show in America, on Sunday night, did a a feature on Penn State and the student-athletes, and it was right before the Sugar Bowl, which they unfortunately lost to Alabama. But when Harry Reisner was here in that fall, you know, just brought the cameras here to this beautiful college town, interviewed the players, interviewed Joe. Um, they fought for the national championship loss, but it and then started snowballing, when certainly when they won the national championship in 82, and then 86 against... Miami, which became the number one college football TV show ever, um, that was kind of the apex where the whole good guys, student athlete, really hit a global kind of brand at that point. So it really hit in the 80s where the stars aligned. You know, Joe Paterno speaking at the the convention, nominating Bush in 88. Uh, Joe's trustee speech after the national championship. I mean, everything aligned success with honor. Um, the, the hundred year anniversary happened in 86. I mean, just a lot of things, first night games, you know, college football becoming just such what it
1: became. You called it the apex. Uh, in my question here, I have written down, I have it called the pinnacle that Penn state Miami game. It was good versus bad, good versus evil. Miami showing up in the fatigues, it drew such an audience. Do you think young people, I know you talked about it in the book, but do you think young people who really weren't around for it could understand just how big that was? And this was before social media and everything else. The fact that they had to move the day of the game, they pushed it back so it would be on alone, the only game that night. That this was more than just college football fans. This was the country watching this.
5: It it was must see TV that Friday night. Um, the whole storyline, the whole narrative that you talked about. I mean, it was a it was it became a national and a global story. Uh, good versus evil. All that's right about the ideals of college football against what became kind of a uh, what's wrong with college football, if you will, uh, with the Miami's approach and their branding. You know, so I think that's when the love affair really is the pinnacle hit that Friday night when we were the, the, the David against Goliath. I mean, a Hollywood script writer could not have orchestrated. I mean, this whole organic story, you know, the best writers in Hollywood couldn't have, like, documented that week that led up to that game where. The Vinny Testaverde, they were favored by multiple touchdowns. And then somehow good old-fashioned defense, Shane Conlon, you know, another poster boy for the student-athlete. I mean, it was just, I, as I talk to anyone when I'm signing books or whatever, everyone's heart was just jumping out of their chest that Friday night. And uh, I, I've never seen a game quite like that with the drama, with the national press, with the – I mean, it was on – it was it was big and 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 Penn State was right there David slaying Goliath good versus evil you know the university of, you know i think that's when the brand was solidified
1: this whole Penn State story as you say it's more than just football this is still the success story of the blue collar kids the the first kids of their in their family the first generation to go to college the kids from Altoona and Johnstown and Pittston, I think are even the towns that you mentioned in your book. That's the success story, not just of the football team, but of the whole university. But the football team was just the, uh, the front door, the front porch that the country saw. Exactly.
5: And, uh, you know, and, and, And we do talk a lot about that, these towns from Pennsylvania. It was was almost like all the players were from Pennsylvania. And you you had the Philadelphia, the Pittsburgh, the Johnstown. You mentioned Cephalo and Pittston. And, uh, you know, we we had Blackledge come in from Ohio in 82. Um, But the whole melting pot of Pennsylvania in its own way is the unique story here is that all these kids, a lot of them wrestlers in this great wrestling capital of the world, you know, all come together, you know, and, 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 and we're the front door to the university, which at the time we talk about with, with the trustee speech that Paterno gave. Now, here's a football coach lambasting the trustees in a speech, which we, we have the full excerpts in the book, the full speech. He's saying, OK, we're number one in football, but now let's be number one in every department. You know, he, he kind of gave his John F. Kennedy speech by the end of the decade. We're going to be on the moon. But let's by the end of the decade, let's become a world class university. And with the graduation rate that was always neck and neck with Stanford and Notre Dame, you know, I, I, I kind of mentioned that we almost became an Ivy League kind of brand, even though we were a, a state school with everything elevated. Everything elevated and it kind of fed on each other. Where it got in, there was this desire by the trustees, by the alums. to We started fundraising big in the 80s because the state cut our, our appropriations. So we had to learn how to do fundraising. And again, William Schreier, Paterno, the donors, everybody rallied. Every success begets success. And so the front porch, football, national TV, the storyland. The storyline inf- infected everybody in a good way, that fundraising started, Innovation Park was launched, you know, by the end of the decade, a research park, it, everything just snowballed. And that's why, you know, I, I the subtitle of the book, Why Penn State, is why the 1980s gave Nittany Lyons a common cause, culture,
1: and shared values. Just using that word culture, I think it's so important to our university and With all this good feeling, I hate to bring it up, but the university, we took such a major hit, now about 12 years ago, and from the outside, that may have changed the way the perception from the outside looking in. But from the inside, is this not just Penn State's ability to bounce back, both the football team and the university as a whole? Is it not from the inside we have that built-in culture. We still have that mantra, success with honor. And that carried us through probably the nightmare of nightmares.
5: Yes, uh, yes. The North Star is there from that culture. You know, and I think the hiring of this athletic director, Pat Kraft, you know, he, you know, uh, the new president, you know, I think the North Star is our culture. And that got us through the dark days because you go back to what you stand for, where your values are, where where your your, your, your values are. And that North star is going to come through and it's in the premises. It started in the eighties. And I think it's going to be here for hundreds of years tied to that,
1: that base. All right. Before we go on, if our listeners want to get the book, why Penn state, it's why Penn state.com. And if you check out using code KSN, you'll get free shipping and, and I can tell you right now, the book itself—my favorite part—I gotta say, I love the interviews with Joe Paterno through the years. They are fantastic. Some great quotes from there, aren't there?
5: Right. Uh, you know, plus it's 256 pages, four-color. It's got the full Are You a or guidebook in there. It's got the Twins poster. It's got a lot of novelty products, and it's a lot of a lot of fun. Arts Festival, General Thursday, Regatta. A lot of a lot of lifestyle stuff from the '80s.
1: All right, that's ypennstate.com, KSN at checkout. And if you don't know what Greg's talking about when he talks about the twins at the monument, at the lion, get the book, find the page with it. You'll understand why I recommend it. All right, thank you so much, Greg, for joining us. But that's it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Thanks, Jim.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
2: In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com.